Well, let's jump into the fourth and final installment of this series, Fish and Vines. And turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. You're going to be seated in just a second, I promise. But Jonah chapter 4. If you've been here for this series, you know that we've been looking at the life of Jonah. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs. But if you've been here throughout this entire series, you realize that really this is not a story about Jonah, but it's a story about the incredible, great grace that God has to offer all of us. So today I want to read to you a part of the narrative. and Then I'm going to pause just to do some work to establish some direction. So let me begin to read to you. Again, follow me upstairs. It says this in Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down on a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. In many of your translations, it does not say a leafy plant. It says a vine. Everybody say a vine. Somebody look at your neighbor and give to them the title of today's message, and that is, it's in the vine. Look at somebody else and say, it's in the vine. So look at what happens in verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Someone say it's in the vine. So here is God giving Jonah an object lesson. Just, just grab a seat. Here is God giving Jonah an object lesson on grace. But before we get into the narrative, I need to take your mind back to two verses that we have been talking about each week as we've begun this series. Hopefully by now you know these two verses by heart. It's where the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, to cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. He does not say cast some of your cares. He does not even say cast most of your cares. He does not say have a selective casting process. No, he says to cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. The thing that has been weighing you down, you need to cast it upon him because God didn't create you to do the heavy lifting, he created you to do the casting, not the carrying. That's why he sent Jesus to be lifted up on the cross. Lord, have mercy. And the word that Peter uses for cast is the Greek word epiripto. 
It means to throw off of you violently, to throw off of you violently the thing that is weighing you down, to throw it off of you and to throw it on to the shoulders of Jesus, to throw off of you what is holding you down on the one that nothing could hold him down, not death, hell, or the grave. And when you lift up your hands in a position of worship, it is the currency that God uses to use to take your cares off of your shoulders. Therefore, you benefit from the very blessing of chapter 5 or chapter 5 verse 10 where it says to not only cast your cares upon him because he cares for you but then the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you that is the Greek word tarshish that is the Greek word which 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 cartizo I should say that is the word that actually means that he will make you into what you ought to be Think about this with me for a moment. Here is Peter writing, cast your cares upon him. And how these two verses acquiesce, point to the life of Jonah. However, there is something in verse 11 that we have not even touched on for the last three weeks that today I want to highlight for you. Verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter quantifies and qualifies grace he says this look it says to him be the power forever and ever amen grab that to him be the power forever and ever amen it follows the verse and the god of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered for a little while will himself make you into what you ought to be it follows that and peter says to him be the power forever and ever amen you know why what Peter is trying to say to us is that sometimes the grace of God shows up in a tangible way. Sometimes the grace of God shows up in a tangible way, and that is just the product of grace. That is not the thing that we should be worshiping. That is only the gift that the gift giver has given us. In other words, you might be praying that you get a good job and God's grace shows up in a tangible way and you get a brand new job. You might be praying for Mr. Perfect, and all of a sudden, God shows up, opens up heaven, and he pours out a blessing upon you. Those are only the product of God's grace. The power does not come from the blessing. The power comes from the one who gave the blessing. Therefore, what he's saying is don't worship the gift, but rather the one who gave the gift. You see, when you need a grace that is more than enough, you need to realize that your power that you need does not come from the gift that he gave, but rather it comes from him forever and ever. Amen. When you need a grace that's more than enough, that job is not going to be your grace. That, that relationship is not going to be your grace. That, that financial bank account is not going to be your power. That talent is not going to be your power. Your abilities is not going to be your power. Some cliche is not going to be your power. The one line sentence that the pastor gives to you, however clever it may be, is not your power. But when the sun begins to scorch your head and the worm has devoured the plant that is over you, you need to realize that you've got to have a strong Savior with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm because the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you into what you ought to be. Good Lord. I came to preach today. When you think about those verses, though, 
your mind really has to go back to Jonah. But the narrative says that Jonah saw God's grace poured out on Nineveh, and it didn't seem right, so he became angry. Let me refresh your memory for a moment. In chapter 1, God told Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. The wicked city that skins people alive and kills them for fun. Jonah said, not happening. Jonah goes down to the port and boards a boat, not for Nineveh, but for Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. Then along comes this great storm. The crew members on the boat realized that the only way that they can save themselves was to do a casting of their cares, so to speak. And so they cast Jonah overboard. And along comes the great fish that God provided, swallows Jonah. And the Bible says on the third day, he has a worship service inside of the belly of the great fish. His heart turns into a heart of worship, and he realizes that his worship is the exchange process that God uses for his cares to be placed on God's shoulders rather than his own. And so he cries out to God and says, God, you are the Lord of my salvation. And at that moment, the great fish spit him out onto dry ground. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches an eight-word sermon. Eight words, that was it. He preaches an eight-word sermon. And revival broke out. The glory of God fell down. It was the greatest revival in humanity. Everybody in Nineveh turned from their ways and turned towards God. And the Bible says, and Jonah was angry. Who gets angry at that? Jonah does. You see, if you've been here throughout this series, I've, I've kind of given you the spoiler all throughout that really I shouldn't have exposed to you until we got to chapter 4. But in chapter 4, we see this internal struggle that is happening in Jonah's life. Where Jonah understands the will of God, but he becomes angry because he does not understand the ways of God. Sometimes it's easier for us to understand the will of God, but it's not easy for us to comprehend the ways of God. And so Jonah finally relents and he goes and does God's will. He goes to the city of Nineveh. He preaches this eight-word sermon, but he becomes angry at God because he does not understand the covenant of God's grace. When he goes into Nineveh, he preaches the eight-word sermon. After he preaches the eight-word sermon, he goes up and sits on the hill, and he waits for God to destroy them. Get them, God. Throw the rocks and stones down on their head. After the greatest revival in mankind up until that point. As many as 600,000 people turned and went towards God, and now Jonah is angry. But listen to me, before we're so hard on Jonah, I think sometimes we have a lot in common with Jonah. Because there's probably some times in your life that you have not understood the ways of God and you've been angry and confused by it. You become angry when you see someone else who's blessed the way that you wish that you were blessed. 
you're holding out for a blessing, you're praying for a blessing, but yet somebody else gets the blessing, and all of a sudden you're confused and angry. God, why you bless her? Because she, she, she just nasty. She nasty to the core, God. She just nasty. God, why did you bless her? And all of a sudden you see her and she's got the blessing that you thought that was supposed to be yours. And now all of a sudden when you see her, you're like, oh, sister, you, you're so blessed. I hope the Lord continues to smile down on you. Bless your lying down and you're rising up. You're coming in and you're going out. Girl, be blessed. And she turns her back and you're like, God, smite her. Get her, God. Hit her in the head with a stone. here is Jonah and us, God saying, yeah, I, I do want to bless you, but sometimes you miss the blessing that I've given to you because you're counting everyone else's blessing. Do you have a right, Jonah, to be angry? <laughs> so verse 10 gives us some clarity to who God is and to who Jonah is. And we see that there's a disconnect between his heart and the heart of God. In fact, verse 2 says this. It says, he prayed the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is when I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. And I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Ooh, Lord have mercy. That verse will preach. How many of you are glad that God looked down upon you and he didn't look by you in, in spite of you? He brought you back and he said, here is the grace that I want to give to you. Here's the grace that I want to open up from heaven for you. What you need to understand is that God is a compassionate, gracious God. Lamentations chapter 3 says that we are not consumed because of God's great love and his compassions are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's why Jonah could cry out to God in the belly of the well and his grace showed up. That's why the Ninevites could cry out to God in the midst of their wickedness. The same God that answered them is the same God that will pour grace out upon you today. But verse 2 not only shows us the compassion of God, but it shows us a compassionless Jonah. Because it tells us exactly why he ran in the first place. Because he understood that God's grace was so incredible, but yet he didn't want God's grace to be extended. How many times do we want the grace of God, but yet others that are around us, we don't want them to get it? Or we're just not compassionate on those who need compassion. So the Bible says that Jonah became so angry that he wished he could die. And God asked him a question. He said, is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Let me tell you something. God was not asking the question for informational purposes. God was asking the question for revelational purposes. God knows everything. He wasn't asking Jonah to teach him something that he did not know. All you have to do is look at the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God asked questions. He asked Adam. He said, why is it that you are hiding from me? He asked Isaiah, whom shall I send? He asked Peter, he said, who is it that you say that I am? He asked the lame dude, what is it that you want me to do for you? You see, the question that he asked was not so that he could receive information. It's so that he could give Jonah revelation because how Jonah answered the question would expose the condition of his heart. 
And Jonah did not comprehend, understand the covenant of grace. And so God is about to give him an object lesson. Let me give you this thought. You need to grab this. When you see grace as conditional, idolatry is possible. Let that sink in. When you see grace as something that is conditional, idolatry is possible. Or maybe this will be easier for you to remember. Conditional grace puts idolatry in place. Let me show you something. Let, let me build on this. Can I teach for a minute? Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 2, and I left something out on purpose because I knew that we would be back here. But i got to show you this. It's in chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what happens. It says, here's what he writes. Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now, what you need to understand is the word love in the Hebrew is interchangeable with the word grace. So those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the grace of God. Grab that. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the grace of God. Most theologians believe that Jonah was writing that verse to himself. You know why? Because Jonah had created an identity for himself that was disconnected from the purpose that God had for him. Grab this. Jonah saw himself as a great prophet to the great and prosperous nation of Israel. There was a, a racial, if you will, um, prejudice, if you will, towards the Ninevites because the Ninevites were something that opposed who, whom he saw himself to be. And he saw himself to be this great prophet to the prosperous nation, Israel, and Nineveh opposed that identity for himself. He was called in his mind to be in the convenience of Israel, while God had called him to show compassion to the Ninevites. Hold on a second. When you build, let me give you two definitions for idolatry. When you build your identity on anything other than God, that is idolatry. Or when something becomes more important to you than God, that is idolatry. That's who Jonah was. Jonah saw himself as this great prophet to Israel, this prosperous nation, and he did not want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh stood against everything that had become his identity. Think about your identity for a moment. Jonah's identity was the great prophet who preached to Israel. What is your identity? You know that internal dialogue that you have with yourself every day? I'm a great mom, I'm a great engineer, I'm a great business leader, I'm a great employee, I'm a great employer, I'm a great student, I'm a great athlete, or maybe it's on the other side of the spectrum. I'm no good at this parenting thing, I'm lousy at relationships. Whatever it is that you are establishing your identity to be, if it falls outside of the love and acceptance that God has for you, then you are practicing idolatry. You see, if you are practicing idolatry, you know what happens? 
you'll have hatred and anger the same way Jonah did. Jonah was living in his identity, which he thought was to be the prophet to Israel. And when God called him to go to Nineveh, it was coming against the identity that he had told himself, the thing that he was every single day. You see, some of you have based your identity on your job, on your talents, on your gifts, but that's not who God said you were. Anything outside of God's love and acceptance and outside of God means that you are practicing idolatry. If your identity falls on anything other than who God says you are, you are practicing idolatry. Some of the characteristics of idolatry are anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, worry, anxiety, hatred. And so what God was doing for Jonah was he was upsetting his priorities. Can I tell you something? Sometimes God will upset your priorities. He was upsetting Jonah's priorities because Jonah's priorities was, was, was no longer grace and compassion. Yeah, that was good for the people of Israel, but it's not good for the people of Nineveh. So he was upsetting his priorities. Sometimes God will upset your priorities because your priorities have become misaligned with his purpose. <laughs> Sometimes God will upset your priorities so that he can expose to you how his power works in a brand new way. So here was Jonah. God called him to go to Nineveh. But Jonah was like, no, my identity is, uh, I'm a prophet to the great nation of Israel, and that is convenient. But God was calling him to show compassion to the people of Nineveh. And so Jonah climbs up on top of the hill, and he looks down at the city of Nineveh, and he's waiting on God to destroy the city. He's waiting on God to throw down all of the stones from heaven and to crack open all of the skulls of the people because they are wicked. And God sees that he's, he's being burned up by the sun. So the graciousness of God causes this vine to grow over his head, and it shades him. And the Bible says that he was happy because of the vine. Jonah has lost has become ignorant to the grace of God in his own life because he is so angry that God's grace was poured out in someone else's life. <laughs> You're not grabbing this. I need you to grab it. Jonah had become ignorant to the grace that God had poured out upon him time and time again. Think about this story from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3. All it is is a story about God's consuming grace being poured out in Jonah's life time again, time and again, time and again, time and again, time and again. And now this vine is over his head, and here comes God saying, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Because you've been the recipient of this grace. You see, if you don't live according to that type of grace, then you're, you're going to be stingy with the very gifts and talents that God has given to you because you're going to place a higher priority on the gifts and talents than you are on the one who gave you the gifts and talents. Let me go further. You see, if, if you're operating by grace, you will be compelled towards compassion. It's like the old preacher says. The old preacher says, show me someone who lacks generosity 
and unforgiveness in their lives, and I'll show you someone who has disconnected from the incredible grace of God. I wish I would have come up with that. Show me someone who's lacks generosity, has unforgiveness, and I'll show you someone who has disconnected from the grace of God. And here is Jonah, angry, sitting on the hillside, and God says to Jonah, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Let me show you something. Look at verses 7 and following. It says this. It says, but at dawn, the very next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Then he says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish that I were dead. This is the second time. The second time that God asked Jonah this same question, is it right for you to be angry? The second time, the first time Jonah didn't answer. The second time Jonah does answer and he said, you doggone right, I got a right. I am angry. I've got a right to be angry. And then God finishes up the object lesson. Look at verses 10 and following. It says, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not even tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? That's just children, most theologians and historians believe, because that is a phrase that they would use to represent children when it says they don't know their right hand from their left. So God is showing his compassion for the people, then for the children, and then he even does this, the co cosmic relief. He says, and what about the animals? Because God wants to pour out his grace on all of creation. Not just some of creation. Not just some people who think they're worthy for grace. But he wants to pour out his grace on all of humanity. All of creation. And can I tell you something? Here is what God was trying to say to Jonah. He was trying to say to Jonah. He said, Jonah, do you have the right to be angry? And Jonah said, yeah, I do have the right to be angry. And so he finishes up this object lesson and he says, Jonah, you know what? You're worried about the vine, but I'm worried about the souls of people. You're concerned about something that you did not even plant and I gave it to you. And you're not concerned about showing compassion for the people who need me. I love I love the story of Jonah because it's this incredible literary piece that there's so many themes, there's so many symbolisms that point to, to the coming Messiah. But if you've studied, and I hope that you have, if you've studied this passage of Scripture for the last four weeks, you see that there are two repetitive themes. Two repetitive themes. Here was Jonah who gave this message. Before I give you the two themes, think about this. Here was Jonah who gave an eight-word message, and God gave him the message because it didn't originate with Jonah. All of the people have turned from their ways and now have turned towards God, and God is, is excited, and God is celebrating, and here's Jonah who is angry. 
But the object lesson was not just for Jonah, it's also for us. Because the two themes that are repeated many times, one is the word great. Just in chapter 1 alone, it says that God told Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. He provided a great storm. The men were greatly afraid. God provided a great fish. All of this repetition about great, the word great or exceedingly great, dozens of times mentioned in this narrative. And then there's a second theme that is repetitious, and that is the provision of God. It says, and the Lord provided a great fish, and the Lord provided a vine, and the Lord provided a worm, and the Lord provided a wind. What God is trying to teach Jonah and us is that you will never find yourself in a place that I cannot provide for you with my grace, and the grace that I provide to you will overcome the place that you find yourself in. So you might be in the belly of the great fish, but my, my grace is greater. You might be in the wickedness of Nineveh, but my grace is greater. You might be in a storm, but my grace is greater. You might be in a calamity, but my grace is greater. You might have that storm in your life, but the reason why that storm is there is because God is trying to stir up your soul so that you will not live according to a lesser identity, so that you will celebrate who he called you to be. The point that I'm trying to make, if you have not grabbed it yet, is when the vine is gone from you. It is not saying that God is gone from you because the context of the story, he's saying to Jonah, Jonah, you've been worried about the vine, but I don't want you to be focused upon the shade that the vine gives. I want you to be focused on the one who gives the vine. It's all in the vine. It's symbolism. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. Somebody help me. Get up on your feet. It's in the vine. It's in the vine. It's in the vine. And that's why you cast your cares upon him, because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you. Somebody say it's in the vine. All throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah has been casting, casting, casting. Epiripto casting, but when he gets to chapter 4, he allows his anger to keep him from casting. And God is saying again, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you. In the Jewish culture, there is, at Yom Kippur, they have this practice where they quote part of the book of Jonah and they close out They close out that, that part of the service by saying, we are Jonah. In other words, they're saying, we're so similar to Jonah. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you didn't realize that this was not a story about Jonah. This is also a story about you. But more than that, I have to show you something. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. 
Do you see verse 12? Everybody see it? You see verse 12? Does anybody see verse 12? No, you don't because there's not a verse 12. There is no verse 12. Everybody wants to know why this book ends this way. It's like a cliffhanger. Here's Jonah sitting on top of the hill. He's angry because God did not, you know, bring down something upon the people of Nineveh. And God, instead, he poured out his grace and his compassion. And everybody's like, what happened to Jonah? Can I tell you why this book ends this way? Because God didn't want you to think this was a story just about Jonah. He wanted you to see yourself in the story. Good Lord, have mercy. Because so many times we don't understand how God's grace works. But cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, he's called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. After you've done that, will himself restore you and make you into what you ought to be.